Talk to my friend Drew Lennon. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I look this guy for wisdom. I've been paying attention to the news over the past few days and, and of course, doing the show prep for this podcast episode today. I, I kept thinking about history, history as it relates today. You know, Joe Biden came out and he made this absurd statement. I, I mean, really, he outdoes himself by sticking his foot in his mouth time and time again and just showing how stupid he is, how incapable of being president he is, how unworthy he is uh, for the office. But he came out and suggested, well, he didn't suggest, he claimed that the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., the repercussions of that throughout the world, were less significant than those felt after George Floyd's death. Basically, George Floyd's death was more significant than Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. That's what he claimed. And I guess in one respect, you, you you could make a claim that maybe that's true. Maybe that's true to the effect of showing how stupid we are as a society today. That 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 would have a more significant impact worldwide for this phony Black Lives Matter movement than even Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. But I I, I think that's a fun point to make. But I don't think it's true. I think that what we have is people who would stand and, and, and defend that absurd statement, absolutely absurd statement, people who would defend it. It's simply it's simply a reflection of something that I notice all the time around me, especially with younger people we, who believe that history began today. I mean, they weren't alive when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. They weren't alive during the civil rights movement. So for them, of course. With no perspective, no understanding of history, people would claim, yeah, George Floyd's death had a bigger impact than Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. That, that's patently false. But that's the kind of stuff that gets put out there, and that's representative of this dark age that we're living in. This age of absolute—I don't know what to call it except to say it's insane. But there is a mental health crisis in America— and we need to address it. And it's, it's on display by the Democrats. And unfortunately, we need to start paying attention to how damaging it is to our fellow American citizens. There is a Rasmussen, Rasmussen poll that came out recently. And this is, this is going to shock you. This is going to tell you what the people on your left and right in a movie theater, if they're Democrats, what they think about you what they would be willing to support in this society. And, and I guess before I get to this poll that I, I, you're going to find fascinating, I think, and frightening, well, we just had Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and Martin Luther King Jr., of course, what did he represent? He was the leader of the civil rights movement. He promoted, of course, inclusion of black Americans to fully 
to fully include them in society, to stop segregation. You know, he argued that people should be judged on their character, not the content of their skin, right? He wanted equality for everyone, a colorblind society, a meritocracy. That's what everyone understands he fought for. That's what he was about. But the left, I mean, this is one of the things. They do a lot of things that irk me that are just appalling and and reprehensible. But one of the things you can always rely on them, expect them to do, is to bastardize history. To take Americans who represented something and to, to, to hijack their narrative and manipulate it and use it for their own political ends. They do it right after somebody dies. You know, they turn everything into a political narrative. You know, when you have a hurricane come through and people die... They don't even mourn the loss. They don't give the families a moment to to digest what's just happened. They immediately use those those deaths to claim we need to combat climate change, for example. And they do that with deceased Americans who represented core American ideals and values. And they, they, they bastardize it and use it to their own political ends. I mean, they make up history. They rewrite the history. They make up things that these people didn't say. And that happened with Martin Luther King Jr., They used Martin Luther King Jr. to try and push forward their vote-stealing initiative, their vote-stealing act. And anyone who opposes it, what do you think they call us? Nothing new. They have nothing to say. They can't make an argument to their cause because it's insane on its face. If you look at the details, it's evident that it has nothing to do with voting rights. It has to do with the Democrats stealing Stealing power in perpetuity, taking over the federal election system and being in charge of the rules, the regulations, even the lawsuits that would come against it. They own it completely, and you don't have a say in society if you're not a Democrat. And so they did that with Martin Luther King Jr. And of course, Kirsten Sinema is the one who stood in the way. Right, she came out against the filib- against getting rid of the filibuster, and they called her a white supremacist. That's what Tiffany Cross on MSNBC. I don't know. She probably had an audience of four people, but nonetheless, she told those four people that, you know, Kirsten Cinema was standing up for white supremacy. This is the mental health problem in America. But back to this this Rasmussen poll. Get this: fifty nine percent of Democratic voters would favor a government policy requiring that citizens remain confined to their homes at all times, except for emergencies, if they refuse to get the COVID shot. So if you don't get the the COVID shot, okay, 59% 59 of Democratic voters would vote for you, the unvaccinated, to remain confined to your home at all times, except for emergencies. But what else do we know? What else do we know? They don't want people that aren't vaccinated, to get treatment at hospitals anyway. So I don't even know why they're mentioning an exception for emergencies because we know that they've come out and said on MSNBC, on CNN, well, they believe that the unvaccinated should not be given health treatment. Get in the back of the line. Your life can't be saved because you're so irresponsible because you didn't get the COVID shot. But here's a couple other numbers. 45% of Democrats would favor governments requiring citizens to temporarily live in designated facilities or locations if they refuse to get a COVID shot. 
So if you don't get the COVID shot, if you're unvaccinated, 45%, nearly half, of Democrats favor governments sticking you in a designated facility, a camp. What else? 29% of Democratic voters would support temporarily removing parents' uh, custody of their children if the parents refuse to get the COVID shot. So a parent who's unvaccinated, 29% of Democratic voters, voters, those people around you on the streets, will they support taking your kids away? But here's the kicker. This, I think, is the most egregious one yet, the one that is most frightening of all. 48% of Democratic voters think federal and state governments should be able to fine or imprison individuals who publicly question the efficacy of the existing COVID shots on social media, television, radio, or in online or digital publications. So that would be me, by the way. So nearly half of Democratic voters think that I should be fined or imprisoned because I raise questions about the efficacy of the existing COVID shots. I don't have to raise questions about the efficacy. We know the efficacy is weak. We know that efficacy is no efficacy because we know that, I mean, how many people, I mean, you have to deny reality and science to claim that the vaccine really has much of an added benefit at all right now. If you want to argue that the vaccine prevents infection or contraction, you're a liar. That is patently false. Dan Bongino, I mean, there are countless people, but look, look, Dan Bongino, vaccinated, came down with COVID. It was the Delta, he suggests and thinks, because it laid him out in his back. Uh, Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton. He's vaccinated. He's gotten COVID numerous times. You can look at Democratic voters. You can look at uh, Democrat politicians. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez going to Miami, Florida to party maskless in a bar. She goes back to D.C. or wherever she went to. Well, she's got COVID and she's got symptoms. And so despite this evidence that the vaccine does not have efficacy, that it doesn't prevent or have any really benefit, it seems, at this point, well, still half of Democratic voters think that if you bring that up, you should be fined or jailed. This is where we are. This isn't the politicians. This is Democratic voters. Half of them think this. 59% of them think that there should be a government policy requiring unvaccinated people to remain confined to their homes. And that's what is the kicker about the MLK Jr. Day and the hijacking of this great American's legacy. They portend, they claim that Republicans should not even be allowed to bring up Martin Luther King Jr.'s name on the holiday because we represent white supremacy and racism and we stand firmly against everything that Martin Luther King Jr. stood for. But what do the Democrats want to do? I just read you the poll. They want to segregate society based on what? Your vaccin vaccination status. A vaccine passports, is that something that Martin Luther King Jr. would have supported? And we know, by the way, of course, too, that a great majority of the unvaccinated are in minority communities. You know, black people, brown people, the people that they're claiming that Republicans want to prevent from voting. But these, these black Americans, for example, in places like New York City or San Francisco, if they're not vaccinated, it's like they're living before 
1964, before the civil rights movement or during the civil rights movement, they're actually treating blacks like they were treated before 1964 in the passage of the Civil Rights Act. And the Democrats have the audacity to claim that they represent and are fighting to restore or continue moving forward in the direction of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream? And they're the ones that are promoting segregation. They're the ones preventing Americans from dining indoors, from going into stores, from participating in society. And many of those people they're preventing are black. So I don't have any time or patience for the idiocy coming out of the Democratic Party's orifice in their face anymore. Because it's mindless. And if you believe this, you're a stupid person. I don't know how else to say it. It's indefensible. And so that's where we are. But um, there's some other things that I wanted to talk about here. We've got Saturday around 11 a.m. You may have heard a terrorist, a Muslim terrorist named Malik Faisal Akram. Well, he gained entry to a synagogue in Texas. And I guess he came in, he claimed to be a homeless man, and then he cocked his gun that he purchased on the street, which to me means illegally, and he held the Jewish congregation hostage. Now, this event was live-streamed. Audio was captured of the man demanding the release of Aifa, or Afia Siddiqui, a Pakistani, it's a female, neuroscientist. Now, she is currently serving an 86-year prison term in the U.S. Siddiqui was convicted of trying to kill U.S. military officers while in custody in Afghanistan. And you know what the FBI came out and said? Well, first they denied that there was any correlation to it being some act of anti-Semitism. They claimed that this suspect, he wasn't specifically targeting the Jewish community. Is there any bureaucracy left in America that is not completely corrupted and working at the behest of the Democratic Party and their narrative? So a Muslim terrorist who was on a watch list in Great Britain, he's British. Well, he comes to the United States via New York City. I think he flew into JFK two weeks ago. And then he finds his way to Texas. And he happens to get a gun on the street and go to a synagogue of all places in this random act. He just happened to stumble into a synagogue and he happened to claim or demand the release of, uh, of this Pakistani terrorist, other terrorist, neuroscientist. And the FBI had the audacity to come out and say that this wasn't specifically targeting the Jewish community. The man took a rabbi hostage during Shabbat services. He demanded the release of Afia, Dr. Afia Siddiqui, who had ties to al-Qaeda and was convicted of trying to kill U.S. military officers while in custody in Afghanistan, as I just explained. And uh, an FBI special agent in charge, his name was Matt DeSarno, he should be fired immediately. He said on Saturday after the event that the FBI believed the suspect was... Uh, was singularly focused on one issue which was not specifically related to the Jewish community. But we're going to continue, but we're continuing to work to find motive, and we will continue on that path. And this, this, uh, this guy, who, this terrorist who took them hostages was shot dead. 
But then Sunday, late Sunday, so a day later, the FBI comes back and they say, this is a terrorism-related matter in which the Jewish community was targeted and is being investigated by the Joint Terrorism Task Force. How, how can somebody come out and make this claim and then a day later they admit it's terrorism-related? We knew this all along. But they do this because it doesn't fit. What's the left's narrative right now? The left's narrative is you and I, those who speak out against the regime, who stand against this authoritarianism that is spreading throughout this country and this mental health issue represented by the Democratic Party, well, they tell us that MAGA, white supremacy, is the greatest threat to democracy, but they can't even find it. In Virginia, remember, the Democrats, well, via the the Lincoln Project, which is an anti-Trump Democratic Party-affiliated group, they can deny all they want, but they're pro-Democratic Party, and they're working at the behest of the Democratic Party in their narratives, well, they had to bring out that group of tiki torch-wielding supposed white supremacists who were uh, supporting Glenn Youngkin, who's now the governor of Virginia, trying to paint Youngkin as being supported by white supremacists, and yet all of those people were Democratic Party operatives. One of them was black. That's right. They can't even get it right. There are so many MAGA white supremacists out there It's such a threat to our democracy that the Democratic Party has to get black people to pretend to be white supremacists. Absolutely absurd. So the FBI reversed their statement just like that. And of course, Joe Biden came out. Here's what he had to say, by the way, because I want to talk about Joe for a second. So look, the, uh, the, the, the question asked by the reporter isn't really audible or understandable. It doesn't matter. She's asked essentially about... Well, we'll just listen to his answer. Well, no, I don't. We, we don't have, I, I don't think there is sufficient information to know about uh, why he targeted that synagogue, why he insisted on the release of someone who's been in prison for over uh, 10 years, why he was engaged, why he was uh, using anti-Semitic and anti-Israeli comments. Uh, Aren't you tired of this? These people think that we are idiots in this country. And obviously many of the Democratic voters in this country are that ignorant to believe this kind of stuff and not just sit here and look at what's happening, how they respond to these narratives time and time again and see the through line. If it doesn't fit a Democratic Party narrative, it's wait and see. We don't have enough evidence. But, you know, January 6th, one of the latest examples, right? You had the quote-unquote insurrection at the Capitol. Well, immediately, immediately, Trump incited an insurrection. They didn't say, let's wait and see the evidence. They tried to convict him right then and there. They tried to impeach him over it without any evidence. Now, everyone knows, even if you disagree with what happened on that day, even if you condemn the acts of a couple hundred, a few hundred people who were mostly guilty of nothing but trespassing on private property, on government property, well, Donald Trump didn't incite that. There's no evidence for that. And yet the Democrat Party and the media immediately condemned Donald Trump of inciting it, of being responsible for it. When it came to Kyle Rittenhouse, who was found not guilty on all counts against him because he defended himself in Waukesha, not Waukesha, in uh, in Wisconsin, though. Well, Cal Rittenhouse was being pursued, attacked, 
killed two people, two white people, injured a third white person, defending himself. And immediately the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, the media said that was a, a, a terrorism, an act of terrorism. The Kyle Rittenhouse somehow was a white supremacist. They then lied about who he killed, who he shot, saying that he killed a bunch of black people, and they were all white. So it's not only that they will, they will seize the opportunity to bastardize a narrative and politicize it, but they'll even invent facts, lie about what happened to fit the narrative. But when it obviously fits the narrative, when you have a Muslim terrorist who was once on a list in Britain who flies over, finds his way to a synagogue in Texas and holds them hostage, including a rabbi, and then demands the release of an Al-Qaeda sympathizer, we're told we don't have the facts to see a motive. I get so tired of this because this happens time and time again. It's not new. It's been going on. This is who the Democratic Party is. That's who the Democratic Party is. And all this talk about Martin Luther King Jr. and how I'm a, a white supremacist because I, you know, I don't support the, the Voting Rights Act, which is not a Voting Rights Act at all. I mean, they, they're, they're calling Republicans. I mean, it's so, it's not just irresponsible, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Now, I want to na- make another point here because when it came down to this Malik Faisal Akram, who was shot dead, who stormed the synagogue and held these Jews hostage, well, you know, the media is saying, well, you know, he had mental health issues. Yeah, he did have a mental health issue. A mental health issue because he believes that Jews are a problem in this world. He believes Al-Qaeda is the good guys. America is the great, the great evil in the world. That's his mental health issue. But that's no different than the mental health issue in the Democratic Party and those 50-some-odd percent of Democratic voters who want to see you and me stuck in internment camps because we're not vaccinated. That's a mental health issue as well. I mean, what's different about this guy? This guy, a terrorist, targets a synagogue because he's an anti-Semite and hates Jews enough that he's willing to hold them hostage at gunpoint and threaten their lives, what's different about him taking that action and 50% of Democratic voters who think the federal and state governments should be able to imprison somebody who questions the efficacy of the existing COVID shots? Nothing. That's where this is headed. You know, I actually, I was recently, I was recently a victim No, 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 I I don't have the victim mentality. Don't mistake me here, okay? But for the sake of the story, so I was recently the victim of uh, a Twitter suspension. That's right. Now, I I say I receive the greatest honor that can be bestowed upon any conservative by Twitter. It's like the Medal of Honor, and that would be my suspension. I got suspended for 12 hours because I called Joanne Reed a bimbo. Joanne Reed made a stupid statement. I mean, every statement she makes is stupid. But in this case, I had just written an article for PJ Media about the Supreme Court case 
about the OSHA Biden mandates affecting businesses. Right? That's the, the mandate that would have required the unvaccinated American employee to test weekly and wear a mask indoors, but not the vaccinated. So anyway, one of the arguments made, one of the oral arguments made was that this is not a workplace issue. This is a in-the-world issue. COVID does not exclusively strike people and threaten people in the workplace. It's out there everywhere you go. You can get it in your home. You can get it in the grocery store. You can get it in the library, a, you know, a, a bookstore. Everywhere you go, a park. You know, it's like the flu. It's not a workplace issue. COVID's not a workplace issue either. So it's patently absurd that you would implement some mandate, OSHA, that's, a, 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 you know, part of the Department of Labor that they could come in and do this because it's not work-related. It's in the world. And so Joy Reid sent out some stupid tweet about how, you know, these six right-wingers on the Supreme Court just said, come on in, COVID, make yourself at home, something like that. And my point was, this is hilarious because she just made, without knowing it, one of the oral arguments against the mandates. Come on in, to, come on in, make yourself at home, COVID is what these... Yeah, exactly. It's not a workplace issue. It can, it can affect you at home. So I said, you know, bimbo Joy Reid, at it again. And so I was suspended. I, well, I'm not allowed to say, to call Joy Reid a bimbo, even though she is. And my options after the suspension, well, I got the notification, right? And it was basically, you violated these, you know what the terms of service were, by the way? I should, I don't, are you interested in this? I think it's kind of interesting because most of you aren't even on Twitter. Good for you. It doesn't re- represent the real world. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to blow this out of out of uh, uh, out of proportion. But okay, okay, let's do this. So I said, you know, that was one of the arguments made. Joy Ann Reed, the virus can come into your home, the grocery store, the park, at work, anywhere. It's not an at work problem. It's an in the world problem. That and it infects vax and unvaxed alike. Bimbo Reed at it again. So I got a, 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 a notice that said that I violated Twitter's rules of hateful conduct. I'm, you may not prom- this is quote, okay, this is the violation. You may not promote violence against, threaten, or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. So somehow that was hateful conduct inciting violence, calling her a bimbo. And yet, you know, Joanne Reed has said, she compared Leader McConnell. Uh, you know, she said, you'll go down in history books as this generation's Strom Thurmond. Strom Thurmond, by the way, was a famous, infamous, Democrat, racist, segregationist, and skirt chaser. And he was a big buddy of Joe Biden's. Joe Biden spoke at Strom Thurmond's memorial service, praising him. As a great man. And so Joy, of course, compares Mitch McConnell to Strom Thurmond. It's like you have to be an absolute moron to make that comparison. When Strom was a Democrat and Joe Biden and him were friends, and you're using that comparison against Mitch McConnell? But, you know, she, she called Republicans gangster. She said Eric Trump isn't super bright. She said Ron DeSantis is a bum I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, she's always, always doing that kind of thing. But she'll never be suspended, ever. And I would not call for her suspension. That's the difference between, of course, you and me, conservatives, 
and the left. They're absolute tyrants. And that's why it should alarm you that nearly 50% of Democratic voters think that we should be fined or imprisoned for speaking an opinion that is against theirs. They can say anything they want without, you know, with impunity. But if you and I say something that they disagree with or goes against the official lie of the day, well, they want us imprisoned. That's a pretty outrageous claim, is it not? I mean, imprisoned? Fined? For disagreeing? But that's the only way the Democrats can survive because they can't make cases based on facts. And that's what they always refuse to do. They just make these these broad generalizations. They cannot be backed up by facts. They're emotional arguments. They just target their enemies and label them the worst things possible to try and gin up hatred and support for themselves. Let me play what... um, what Focahontas said about the Voting Rights Act, okay? Listen, listen to what Focahontas had to say. Keep this in mind, that state legislatures all around the country that are controlled by Republicans are doing everything they can to keep people from voting. Who are they trying to keep from voting? Black people, brown people, college students, uh, people who live on tribal reservations, trying to keep those folks from voting because they might vote Democratic. Nothing, nothing that Senator Warren... Pocahontas, Pocahontas, just said is true. Republicans, Republican state legislatures are passing legislation to prevent black people, brown people, college students from voting because they might vote Democrat? That's not true at all. Everything she just said is a lie, and it's a dangerous lie. What are Democrat legislat- what, are, what are Republican legislatures doing? Well, they're requiring voter ID laws. They're requiring signature verification to prove that the person who cast the vote is who they claim to be. I mean, the Democrats in making these arguments, they're asserting that black people, brown people are stupid people. They're claiming that minorities in this country are so dumb that they could not wipe their own you-know-what without a Democrat hand. And, and of course, why is this coming up now? We've never had this conversation before to the extent that we are now. We have the, the loosest voting measures perhaps in our history after 2020, after what took place. So let's say we go back to pre-2020 without universal mail-in ballots. How is that suppressing the vote? How is that preventing black people, brown people from voting? It's not. It's not. And for any Democratic voter out there who believes this, I question your mental health. No evidence for this whatsoever. But we know what the Democrats are trying to do. The Democrats, and and, you know, this is a point that needs to be made as well. You know, It's the Democrats who are actually trying to undercut the vote of minorities in this country. Black people, brown people, college students, because we want every legal vote to count. If you're an American citizen, you get to vote. That's it. And we want to protect the integrity of the vote. But Democrats, they want there to be dead people voting, 
They want there to be ballot harvesting that takes place. They want mail-in ballots galore who are just turned in in mail-in drop-off boxes where there is complete anonymity of whoever is dropping off the votes. You could go and collect the votes, collect the ballots, mail-in ballots, which we saw happen. Write in who you want to vote for. Stick it in a it, stick it under cover of darkness in a drop-off box, and then that just gets counted. They don't want to clean the voter rolls. And actually, you know, in California, what's happening right now is Gavin Newsom wants to give illegal aliens the right to vote. That's happened in New York in local elections, but that's what this is about. It's not about it's not about protecting the vote. It's about stealing elections. And she's claiming that Republicans, by wanting to actually institute measures that safeguard elections so that everyone who has the legal right to vote, that vote actually does count. It's not negated by some fake vote or illegal vote. Well, Pocahontas, Pocahontas has the audacity to claim that we are trying to prevent people from voting. Black people, brown people from voting. I mean, this is, this is so reprehensible what they're doing. But really, all of this in a nutshell just proves the point that the Democrats are empty. They have given up on trying to convince the American people with logic and reason to support their disastrous policies because, well, their policies are just that. They are disastrous. And so because they can't win and compete in the court of opinion in terms of pragmatic solutions to protect America, to to ensure that we have a robust economy, that freedoms are protected, that that elections are secure. Well, they've given up on that. They already tried this. They brought in the mainstream media into the White House itself to try and help them convince the American people through messaging, and that's not working either. And I've got another story about that coming up soon, about now, you know, they're going to abandon, try and abandon the Biden strategy. Because that hasn't been working. But more on that in a second. Uh, You know, they called Donald Trump Hitler. Unsubstantiated, of course, but that was their winning strategy. Donald Trump is Hitler. Anybody who opposes the Democrat Party and their policies, well, they're white supremacists. Well, now, uh, uh, DeSantis' Democrat challenger is comparing him to Hitler. Now, this woman, Nikki Freed, she's 44 She claims, I saw the rise of Hitler. Now, she is an absolute disgrace, unaccomplished, never done anything in her life, has grand ambitions of being, you know, the losing Beto O'Rourke of Florida. Well, um, so she's challenging DeSantis, and here's what she had to say. She told this to a podcast host, co-host, Melissa Ross, on Florida Public Radio, this is last Friday, about DeSantis, her opponent. She says, instead of listening and trying to govern with the people, he is trying to govern over the people. And you know, that, I'm sorry, I'm a student of history too. I saw the rise of Hitler. What? Here's more Democrat projection. He, instead of listening and trying to govern with the people, he's trying to govern over the people. That's exactly what the Democrats are doing. They're not listening to the people. 
The people don't want critical race theory. They still want to shove it down our throats. The people believe that asking for a voter ID, asking for an ID to vote, well, that's common sense. They're not listening to that. They're trying to jam through their election stealing act. They never listen to us. They're frustrated. They're trying to govern over us. I'm a student of history too, she says. I saw the rise of Hitler. Well, then she should look in the mirror and recognize that she represents the rise of Hitler. The Democratic Party seems to be using Adolf Hitler's and the Nazi regime's playbook to take over America and, and consolidate their power in perpetuity. That's exactly what's going on. So that's Nikki Freed. That's all she's got in her tank. Let me see if I can find this article real quick that I was looking for. Um, you know, th- this came up that I should mention too. So, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about this January 6th committee and what its purposes are. It's not to investigate what happened on January 6th. It's to target and attack and punish their political opponents. So Liz Cheney used the January 6th committee to attack those who were working to unseat her in Wyoming. So she's the co-chair of the House Select Committee. And the Federalist noted on Wednesday that earlier that week, um, the committee revealed subpoenas for three advisors to the Trump family, Andrew Sarabian and Arthur Schwartz, both of whom have, whom have advised Donald Trump Jr. and Ross Worthington, who helped craft Trump's January 6th speech. So they've all been called to provide the committee with these requested documents and to give testimony. So Sarabian, who was advising the Wyoming Values Political Action Committee in support of Cheney's primary challenger, attorney Harriet Hageman, had no involvement with the White House protest that the probe has sought to conflate with the violence of the Capitol. So Sarabian who is advising a PAC that wants to unseat Cheney. He had nothing, no involvement whatsoever with January 6th. Well, he's being asked to provide documents. Documents about what? It doesn't matter. They just want to find anything to try and, but to try and intimidate these people. To try and force them to throw up their hands and give up. So Mr. Sarabian, though, is a close friend of Donald Trump Jr. And he's running a super PAC that opposes the re-election of one of the members of the committee. And so they're harassing her. So Cheney, according to the outlet, so she's facing this competitive primary for, for a fourth term as one of the most unpopular Republicans in the country. I mean, she couldn't get 25% support among, amongst likely primary voters. And Wyoming's a state that Trump won by a higher margin than anywhere else in the country just more than a year ago. And so Cheney here is targeting this person who had nothing to do with January 6th, asking them to come and speak to the January 6th committee to provide documents that they just want to examine, which would be text messages, things like that, subpoenaing this person. And that is is proving the point what we said all along. This is just simply a witch hunt. And so this isn't about January 6th. It's just a political tool to continue to go after anybody who opposes the Democratic Party. Um, All right, let me find this Hyden-Biden strategy abandonment article here. 
So here's a headline from Breitbart News, all right? White House pursuing Joe Biden communications reboot as polls collapse. Now, we know the recent, most recent Quinnipiac poll, which is not a, a right-winging poll by any means, well, it showed Biden's approval rating at 33%. 33%. I mean, that is, that is well below Donald Trump's approval rating. And Biden has the benefit of a media, a sycophantic media, that is doing everything in its power to defend him, to run interference for him, to protect him, and still is at 33%. So they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. And, you know, look, look, what else have they tried to do? They tried to, they tried to, to do that social media strategy, right? They had, you know, celebrities, Olivia Rodrigo, the Jonas Brothers, that weird kid in the Oval Office that was, uh, I don't know, mentally ill with the painted fingernails and long fingernails, pushing the vaccines and all this sort of stuff. Well, that didn't work either. It was laughable. It was mocked across the country. That's right. Benny, I think, is the guy. I don't know if you remember this guy. He's got makeup on. He's got this ridiculous outfit, these long Dracula vampire-like painted white fingernails that are attached to his fingers. And, um, and you know, he's in the video sitting in the White House, tapping on the computer. I don't know if you remember this. You know, it's, not, I, I, it's just part of more of the, the mockery of this country and, and the Oval Office. Um, so anyway, I guess what they want to do now, I'll read from the article. So the, the, according to NBC News, the White House is exploring new ways to communicate directly with the American people. Now, normally a president would communicate directly with the American people, but they haven't been willing to do that. They've been indirect in all this because, of course, we know Joe Biden is incapable of speaking. He sticks his foot in his mouth. He's, he's got dementia or something similar, and he's an embarrassment. So the whole strategy all along has been to keep him removed from the public as often as possible. That's why he doesn't give press conferences. It took him forever to go and give his address, you know, to a joint session of Congress. So advisors expressed the need for Biden to talk to more people directly instead of one-dimensional speeches from the White House. That'd be like giving press conferences, pretending like he's a real human being leading this country instead of some robot that looks like he uses the same plastic surgeon as Nancy Pelosi. Boy, did you see her eyebrows, by the way? They look like they were trying to crawl off her face in her latest botched operation she had. (laughs) I digress. So anyway, citing this, advisors citing this need for for Biden to talk to more people directly. Um, They cite his greatest political strength as empathy and an ability to connect with ordinary Americans. These people live on an alternate planet. But when your guy is Joe Biden, you don't have a choice. I mean, how are they going to face the reality? They're kind of screwed. They put, put themselves in this situation. So they, they're telling themselves that Joe Biden has a <laughs> his greatest political strength is empathy and an ability to connect with ordinary Americans. Joe Biden, 10% for the big guy Biden. Chinese communist sympathizing Joe Biden. <clears throat> right, he can connect with ordinary Americans. Um, so anyway, they're, they're citing all this stuff. And uh, I guess now they're looking to, 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 to come up with something new. Um, 
And so they admit the new communication strategy includes its own pitfalls because Biden frequently gaffs and stumbles when speaking off script. But he's going to host a press conference on Wednesday. That's tomorrow, and I'll cover that for you tomorrow. But it's only his second formal solo press conference at the White House since he took office. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? And furthermore, he spent, I don't remember the figure, but it's something like a third of his time in the presidency in Delaware. This guy's been totally MIA. And, uh, and now they're going to try and rectify that. But I guarantee you, after he comes out on Wednesday, they're not going to know what to do next. What's their next strategy going to be after they actually push Joe Biden towards the podium to try and pretend to have a brain? There's no way it's going to be functional. There's no way it's going to work. You know, the honeymoon stage is over, and they can't blame Trump anymore. I mean, they'll keep trying, but it's lost its, its, its power. It's lost its meaning. There's something else that's been brewing lately that I've been meaning to address because I was skeptical skeptical as soon as I saw it because I understand how the media works. I understand the forces against the Republican Party right now, and you always have to question the narrative. You have to question the sources. You have to question the intention behind it. And especially when it's pushed by the left-wing media, you know there's some intent behind it. And... Everything happens for a reason. So the biggest thing is, is there's been this attempt by the media to drive a wedge between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, the two biggest contenders for the 2024 uh, uh, nomination, for the Republican non- nomination for president. And I looked at this, and my eye ra- I raised an eyebrow, because, look, it's far out, and they're acting like Donald Trump's been you know, uh, bashing DeSantis, and, and there's all this friction between the two men. And it's a distraction. It's a distraction. I mean, it's 2022. We haven't even had midterms yet. And we're still far away from having the necessary debates and chain of events that will, that will give us the, the, the correct presidential nominee to go against whoever the Democrat Party nominee, nominee is in 2024. And so here's a story from NBC News. Uh, Trump's advisors point the finger at McConnell as reports of DeSantis feud swirl. So what this comes down to is two different comments on different shows by Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, which got blown out of proportion. So Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, he went on a, a political podcast last week and he panned the COVID lockdowns. Um, now Donald Trump called politicians who have refused to reveal their vaccination status gutless. And this became the irresistible headline, uh, for the, the left wing news media that these two contenders were feuding. And now both camps have denied any real friction. They're blaming the media for overhyping tensions. This is from NBC News I'm reading now. But Trump advisors say they see a hidden hand at play that of Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Now this I actually buy. This I buy because Mitch McConnell is a gutless rhino. He's an establishment guy and he does not like Donald Trump. He wouldn't even support Donald Trump when he first came into office because he believed the Russia collusion lie. And so he showed resistance to pushing and assisting and supporting Donald Trump's um, legislative acts and, 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 and um, 
Well, those things, they were part of his agenda. He, he didn't want to support them. And the claim back then was, you know, well, we got to wait and see what's going on. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't. So anyway, Mitch McConnell's not a good guy. <clears throat> and um, so the podcast that DeSantis went on, I guess it's called Ruthless, and it's co-hosted by a McConnell advisor named Josh Holmes. And that's when DeSantis went down and panned the COVID lockdowns. Well, you know, that's when Twitter, you know, the fake world, was flooded with a suggestion that DeSantis was knocking Trump by saying one of DeSantis's biggest regrets was not having been louder about the harms of the lockdowns intended to help slow the spread of the virus. And so Trump's camp is saying this looked like a setup because he went on the show. Um, a Trump advisor saying, you know, Josh, I mean, this is typical, you know, Trump fashion. I like, I like Josh. Josh is great, but he's, he's also a wholly owned subsidiary of the McConnell world. And there's no way you can tell me that this was all a coincidence. Also, DeSantis and his staff knew what they were doing. How many Florida general election voters are listening to the ruthless podcast? Now, that said, they might have been hoping for more out of Ron, because let's face it, he didn't really criticize Trump, but they knew the media would instantly jump on it. Which, so I, I believe this pitch now. I think the Trump camp's right. They probably did hope DeSantis would say more and actually come out and use Trump by name and disagree with him, but that's not what he did. And so I would just caution any of you, you know, when you see these kind of negative headlines coming out, and there's going to be more and more of them about Trump did this and uh, DeSantis did this, and that there's some kind of disagreement, some kind of hatred, some kind of animosity brewing between them. Remember who's saying it. Remember who's saying it, because this is what the left does. You know, they want to create a distraction from what's happening in this administration, and they want to start putting the spotlight on issues in the Republican Party. Now, we've got our own issues we've got to face. We've got McConnell's and these people we've got to, got to, got to get rid of. Um, but I actually want to play you Dan Crenshaw. Now, Dan Crenshaw, Dan Crenshaw has joined the swamp. Uh, I respect his military service. That goes without saying. But he doesn't get a pass because of it. He doesn't get to act and behave and change and become a swamp creature and be shielded from criticism. Dan Crenshaw's got to go. This is not a good guy. He's not serving the country anymore. He is your prototypical D.C. establishment type who is above criticism, who has the same mentality as many Democrats and certainly other rhinos in the Republican Party who have forgotten their place, forgotten the constituents they represent, who believe they are above criticism, who talk down to the American people. He does not have humility. He does not have grace. And there have been a lot of things like this that we've heard that have revealed his true character these days. But Dan Crenshaw, so a young girl, a young girl questioned his Christian faith at a Montgomery County Tea Party fundraiser Monday, Newsweek reports. You lied about being a Christian, this girl repeatedly said, according to Newsweek. The first part of her question is not audible in the original video. Um... But, you know, let's just play it. I'll play the clip and then we'll comment, okay? Let's let you hear it first because uh, I, I, I don't, I don't, let, let's go to the source. Whoa. Yeah! Crenshaw 
thing here is that we have That's important hero archetypes that we look up to. Jesus is a hero archetype, Superman is a hero archetype. Real characters, too. too. I could name a thousand. Rosa Parks, Ronald Reagan, end quote. I can't wrap my head around this. Well, I'll help you. Put a period out for the word Jesus and don't question my faith. Wow. You moron. Look, look. Yeah, you want to talk to a kid like that? Yeah. Don't question my faith. Oh, okay. You guys can ask questions about all of these things, and I will answer them. But don't question my faith. I can question your faith if this is what you said. That's. I, I, I mean, you can read the quote again. But nowhere in that quote am I saying Jesus is not real. That's a ridiculous statement. So, you you heard the condescension in his voice. Do not question me. Do not question my faith. He's very offended by it. This is a young girl. You heard her tone. You don't have to turn nasty with her. And so what, what she was quoting, all right? Dan Crenshaw went on a, a, a appearance on Jocko Willinks. Willinks, I don't know this podcast, in March of 2020. And, and he, he apparently said on the podcast, <clears throat> the girl's quoting it, the important thing is that we have societal hero archetypes that we look up to. Jesus is a hero archetype. Superman is a hero archetype. Real characters, too. Now, if we were in a literature class, <clears throat> this girl's absolutely right. He says Jesus is an archetype, Superman's an archetype, and real characters are, too. So, the way he said it, he does... He does say, in the way he presents it, if we just read it like he says it, well, he's not claiming that Jesus is a real hero. He's an archetype, like Superman. But that's not something a person of faith would say. And he even makes a distinction after saying Jesus and Superman are hero archetypes. Real characters are too. Well, Jesus is a real character. How do you compare Jesus to Superman? And so the questioner just said, the young girl said she couldn't wrap her, her head around this. And it is worth pointing out and asking about. I can help you, Crenshaw responded testily. Put a period after Jesus and don't question my faith. <clears throat> not only is that not how you talk to a young girl like that, but Christians are not above criticism. He should respond. There's another way to respond to this. You said this, uh, Dan, and it's just, I can't wrap my head around it because it sounds like you're not saying Jesus is a real person. You're comparing him to Superman to being an archetype. Like, you don't sound like a Christian when you say that. Well, don't question my faith. All he had to do was say, look, what I said, what I meant to say was this. I understand how you might have gotten that out of picture, but here's, you know, that, that's the Christian's calling. We're supposed to defend our faith. We're supposed to make the case, and we're not above criticism. And for him to talk to a girl like this is just so telling about his lack of character. He goes around. He's in a room just like you or me. I mean, if I'm in a room and somebody questions me or has a question, don't question me. Don't question my faith. No, no, no. You have every right to question my faith. But here he is in Congress now, and he's got this attitude, having lived in the D.C. swamp for so long, that he's a politician. He's apart from the American public. That we are his servants. This is the attitude that is plaguing America today. And that's what Dan Crenshaw represented there. 
But anyway, <clears throat> you know, all these people uh, are endemic of everything that's happened in this country with COVID and everything else. This this reversal of the roles of the American citizen and the government. And that's what we have to be a pay, paying attention to. It's the same thing with the Voting Rights Act. The Democrats, too. They don't want to make arguments for the Voting Rights Act. What do they do? They can't say, look, we want this Voting Rights Act because we believe that— why don't they explain why they want universal mail-in ballots? Why don't they explain and make the case for these drop-off uh, these drop-off centers? Why don't they make the case for eliminating signature verification? Why don't they make the case for, for, I mean, why should people not have to prove their identity at the ballot box? Why should those things be real? Well, they can't because if they try to explain those things away, they reveal the game. They want cheating and fraud. So what do they do? They revert to just attacking their opponents. They won't defend their arguments. They just go on the attack. And if they actually had righteous, noble intentions, they would have no problem simply explaining to the American people why they wanted to implement these things. But they don't. This is the modus operandi for the Democratic Party and politicians like Dan Crenshaw who don't want to explain themselves. They're beyond reproach. And one other thing happened that I wanted to point out that I forgot about earlier as I try to cover this busy day of news. You know, after one other thing that has come out from the Democrat Party since this terrorist attack at that synagogue in Texas, well, they're, they're warning us of Islamophobia now. Warning us of Islamophobia. Now, where are their warnings about magophobia? Or all of these, these concerns after January 6th, pushing this lie that Republicans and Trump supporters are white supremacists, dangerous white supremacists. Where are they to say, hey, look, we don't need to go and target these American citizens. They're our brothers and sisters. They're Republicans, but they're not all domestic terrorists, they're not warning of any phobia against that. They're promoting it and encouraging it. Same thing with COVID. They're not saying, hey, hey, you know, people who, who, who choose not to get vaccinated, that's for them to decide. We need to respect people's rights in this country to make those decisions, especially given the revelations that we now know that the vaccines don't have any efficacy, that they don't prevent the spread. But what do they do instead? They double down. And they encourage attacks against the unvaccinated. That's what Joe Biden means when he says this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. He is trying to stir up hatred towards American people. They're trying to silence our voices. That poll, half of Democrats want me fined or jailed for talking to you today on this podcast. I don't call for that for my political opponents. I don't call for the silencing of Joy Reid. Even though I was suspended on Twitter for calling her a bimbo, she said far worse things. She called Donald Trump, for example, Grandpa Mussolini. I mean, that is outrageous talk, but I don't call for her suspension. But, you know, whatever. Good for Joy Reid, you know. It's good that she'll never be suspended from Twitter because soon all she'll have is Twitter because her her TV show is getting canceled by... Uh, MSNBC in the spring because she's got five viewers. 
And, you know, she should count her lucky stars that she has a show. She's a multimillionaire and she has no audience. She's getting paid to be a propagandist and make outlandish statements and lie. And soon she won't have that. So good for her. She'll stay on Twitter. And if, you know, look, if Twitter fails, if maybe the character limit starts to get to her because she doesn't have a platform to talk incessantly and spew her garbage as long as she wants on her program, well, she can go back to writing a homophobic blog. That's what she did before she became a a TV host. She had a blog, and she made homophobic remarks and admitted that she was a homophobe. And she said all kinds of terrible things against gay people in this country. But the Democrat Party, you know, you know, the party, the little guy, the party, the open-minded party, the, the party of sympathy and empathy, of love, that's all a joke. That's out the window. And we see that's untrue. So anyway, you know, tomorrow we'll have to hit and follow up on this press conference that Joe Biden's going to give. I guarantee you that's going to be a disaster. It'll be the same old, same old. Do you think that he'll actually take questions that aren't already given to him? Now, they can't risk that. They can't risk that. But what we're going to see going into 2024 is going to be fascinating because I tell you what, neither Joe Biden or Kamala Harris will be running for president. Neither one of them. And the Democrats don't have a solution yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, Hillary Clinton, I think she's got some ambitions, but the Democrats want nothing to do with her. Remember, they chose Barack Obama over her, and then she finally got the nomination in 2016 and was defeated by Trump. And when she was running, remember, before Joe Biden, there was Hillary Clinton. And I mean... Before him, there was Hillary, who didn't have the energy to campaign, who was having health issues, who was repeatedly being seen helped by AIDS to walk, to get up and down stairs, who had coughing fits. Before Joe, it was Hillary. And she's going to be 78 years old in 2024. There's no way she's running. So I don't know who they're going to come up with. That's going to be fascinating to watch as well. But, um, but anyway, you know, the Republican Party and conservatives— we still represent the best of America. And when I started to close out, what I wanted to say about looking at MLK Jr. and what the Democrats are doing, and my observation of history is that never before in American history, until this current time we're living in, have we really regressed like this. We've always been moving forward. Since the founding of the country, through the civil rights movement, and forward and beyond that, we've always been moving forward improving our society, but now we're actually going backwards, back towards segregation, back towards discrimination. And it's far worse than that with Democrats admitting that they want to segregate society. They want to punish the unvaccinated. It's a really dangerous time, but the good news and the silver lining is that all of this outrageous talk coming from Democrats is because they're desperate. This is still a majority conservative country. We are winning the arguments and debates. The Virginia governor has been excellent since he's come into office. He's not requiring masking children in schools. You know, the thing is, these people who aren't even conservative in their ideology per se, like I am, for example, pragmatism is conservatism. Donald Trump, he was one of the most conservative presidents despite not really being a conservative, because he was focused on solutions that worked, and our solutions do work. Our ideology is superior. And so we just got to keep pushing that message forward and fighting for it and speaking truth and common sense, because it rules the day, and the Democrats can't compete with us. So we got to keep them on the defense, keep 
pressing them to explain themselves and force them to to defend their positions. Don't allow them to put us in a category and just write us off as white supremacists every time that we disagree with them. But this is Drew Allen, and uh, until next time.